Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the Least of These Podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. chapter 14 and we'll be back in verse uh, 6 this morning remember we've been in the book of John and it's about the seven key signs the seven key miracles John has written that we might believe he said many other signs Jesus did but these have been written about that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing you might have life in his name So the whole reason for the book of John is that we might know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and go to heaven. That's the whole reason. That's why we've been studying the book of John. That's why we study the Word of God. We learn. But now we've we've been through all the miracles. Jesus has been rejected by the Jews. He's been rejected by everyone. The Gentiles have started coming to Him and uh, wanting to know Him and trusting Him. And at that time, he says, my time is at hand. It's time to turn away from the Jews, and it's time to go to the cross. And they've already rejected him. He's ridden through the streets, and they shout a Hosanna, here comes the king. And he's on a donkey riding lowly. He's come not because he's the king, but he's came. He is the king, but he's come to die. He's come to die on a cross. And so we see in chapter 14, this is really, as we said last week, that that there's the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about the the way of love. And, And when we get to chapter 14, the whole theme is about not being troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid, he says. He says, you believe in God, believe in me also, right? And Jesus goes on to tell them that that He's prepared a place for us. He's prepared a place in heaven. And we said last week that when Jesus goes prepares a place, that everything He does, His death on the cross, His burial, His resurrection, and all the people being saved over all the centuries since then, that we are His church. The Bible speaks of us as the bride of Christ. Thomas says... He says, I'm going and you know the way. And Thomas begs the difference and says, I don't know the way, Jesus. And Jesus says, you do know the way. And he says here in verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So basically, Jesus says, I am the only way to get to heaven. And so we saw that last week. There's only one way. There's not a hundred ways. There's not two ways. There's only one. Acts 4.12, Peter says, There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. As we look today, we'll finish up the truth. We'll start with the truth. Jesus is also the truth. He does, of course, teach the truth. His words are truth. 
But beyond this, He is the truth. He is the wisdom of Proverbs chapter 8. All truth has its source in Him. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, we talked about last week. In verse 9 that He says, In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in the Godhead. And so Jesus is the source of all wisdom. He says that when we look at Jesus... He is the source of all truth. He is all the truth that men and women need for salvation, for life, and for godliness. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says that we have been made partakers of the divine nature and God has given us everything, not some things, but everything we need for life and godliness. He gives us everything we need between salvation, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. We have everything we need to live this life, to know what God wants us to do, to do His will. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true and eternal true God and eternal life. And so lastly, we see that He is the life. We know that, that He has raised the dead to life, but the beginning of this Gospel we saw in John chapter 1, in Him was life, and that life was the light of men, that He is the one who is the source of all life, not only spiritual life, physical life, but spiritual life also. He is the one who calls the church into existence. To reject Him is to reject life and to choose death. Because He is life, His life cannot be really taken away. He lays it down because He has the authority to lay it down. Basically, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He he sums it all up. I am the only way to live. I am the only truth. And I am the only life. You know, the church, the early church, was called the way, right? And Paul, in Acts chapter 9, he was going to persecute those of the way. And guess what? Three times in the book of Acts, they are called the way. It wasn't until later it says that the, that the church was first called Christians at Antioch. But before that, they were called the people of the way because he was the only way to live. Uh, One man put it this way, Thomas A. Kempis. I don't think he was a very good theologian, so don't take anything else really that he says at face value. But from what I understand, he wasn't very good at really who Jesus was, but he did get this right. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou should pursue, the truth which thou should believe, and the life which you should hope for. Jesus has already said three times that He would die. And we need to understand that that Jesus tells them, I'm going and you know the way. If they know the way, who is Jesus? Jesus is the way, right? So you know Him. And it, you know, it's like you ever been somewhere and you say, "Well, where are we going?" They say, "Don't worry about it. I, I know the way." And it doesn't matter whether you know the way or not, right? 
as long as the person you're with knows the way. That's kind of what Jesus is telling us. Say, look, folks, y'all don't have to worry about it. I know the way. You know the way. And you know where we're going because you know me. And so you don't have to worry about it. You can trust in me. You can go with me and I'll get you where you're supposed to be. And that's a comfort to us. As long as we know Jesus Christ, we don't have to worry about how to get to heaven because he's going to come and get us. And what we said before, that he will come and get us. He said, he said I go to prepare a place for you, verse 2. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. So he's coming back personally to get each and every one of us, right? And so we don't have to worry about that. And then he says in verse 7, he says, well, let me back up. I skipped a part of a verse. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus declares... Totally, completely, there's only one way. If you don't come to Jesus and trust Him as Lord and Savior, you're not going to make it to heaven. There's only one way. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again the third day. That is the gospel. He died for our sins. He was buried. and He rose again the third day. And He lives forevermore at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus says the only way you're going to get there is if you, if you know Me. And then he says to the disciples, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. In other words, Jesus says right here, You should have known me, and if you had known me, you would know who my Father is also, right? One man said it like this, that that word know means to come to know by personal experience. They spent three and a half years with Jesus and one man said that they had not really come to know Jesus as much as they loved Him. They loved Him, but they didn't really know who He was. They didn't really understand everything about Him. And so Jesus says, if you really know Me, you would have known the Father also. This is a bold statement of deity. When you come back to John chapter 1, remember about the first 18 verses are really the introduction to the whole book. And, uh, and it's like any good book. You get an introduction in the beginning, right? And then you kind of, as you go through the rest of the book, what happens? You kind of see the rest, that introduction unfolded as you go through the book, right? And that happens in the Bible all the time in these books that have been written. And he says in verse 18, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of the Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Jesus has shown us the Father. He has declared to us who the Father is. He has explained the Father to us in other words. Remember Jesus, every time He speaks, He shows us who the Father is. He said, I only do the things the Father tells me to do. I only say the things He tells me to do. And I do nothing on my own. Jesus says, from now on you know Him and have seen Him. And I think last week, I think I got my verses mixed up back when I said, and where I go, you know, and the way you know, verse 4, I think I said that was a statement that was basically spoken like it was already done. Well, this was the statement that was spoken like it was already done because he says, and from now on, you know him and have seen him. 
In other words, from this time on, he's speaking of just like it's already done. It's, it's such a sure thing that guess what? Jesus speaks of it as it's already done. Why? Because he's going to send the Holy Spirit, right? Remember he tells us a little bit later in John 14, he's going to send the Holy Spirit, the helper, the paraclete, the comforter, whatever your Bible says. And the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, will guide us into all truth. We haven't got there yet. I think that's about verse 16. But when we get to that, we'll see that the Holy Spirit is the helper. He's the one who comes alongside us. He comforts us. He is the one who comes into our life and and makes us who we are. Because see, the Bible tells us the moment you trust Christ, what happens? God comes to live in you and in me. That is the Holy Spirit. And that's why we can be different. That's why we don't live like we used to live. That's why we can be different from the world is because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And so Jesus basically says this just like it's a done deal because it's going to happen. If God says it, you can believe it, right? (laughs) The Bible says that God cannot lie. And so, verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. So, we don't know, maybe Philip was speaking up, hoping for one of these theophanies, one of these visions of God, sort of like Moses got. Remember Moses in Exodus 33, verse 18 said, Please show me your glory. And what did God say? He said, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand. And then as my hind parts pass, I will show you because you cannot look on my face and live. No man can see the full glory of God and live. Is basically what God told Moses. And maybe that's what Philip's saying. Because he really doesn't understand that he is seeing God. Because Jesus is God sitting right there in front of him. He's sitting there with him. And Jesus says to him, Have I not have I been with you so long? These men have been with Jesus three and a half years, and they still don't really grasp the idea that he's God in human flesh. They all desert him at the cross. They all renounce him. They all run away. They all they just don't understand. I mean, it's amazing how even God Himself is right there with them and they still don't quite get it. They still don't understand that He's God. And He says, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known Me? I mean, you don't have that deep, personal, intimate relationship that you know who I really am. Philip said, found Nathaniel in verse 45 and said, chapter 1, We have found Him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He says all that about him, but he still doesn't understand who he really is. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. You said all that about me when you first met me, and now you still don't know really who I am, Philip? What is the problem here? The Bible tells us he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He's the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. That's Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Chapter, Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Colossians, I mean 2 Corinthians 4 4 says He is the image 
of the God from heaven. He says, do you not understand who I am? He says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Jesus is like incredulous. How do you say, show me the Father? I am right here. I am God. Look what he says in verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father? Notice those words. That I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. So Jesus says two times, do you not believe I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And in verse 11 he says, believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me. So basically he says twice that. What he says here is, first of all, they should believe Jesus because of his character. He's in the Father. Because his words are the Father's. And then lastly, because his works are the Father's. He says, believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me. In other words, believe me for who I am, who you've seen, who you've heard. You've been with me all this time. Believe me for who I am. I mean, when you see somebody and you know them for a little while, you ought to be able to understand who they are, right? See them for who they are. If you spend a little bit of time on it, that's what Jesus is saying. And He says, if you can't take me on my own personal statement based on you know who I am, He says, believe us, I'll not. Even the blind man in chapter 9 says, I don't know if he's God or not, but I know one thing. I was once blind and now I see. (laughs) And you know, the bad thing about it is, is guess what? At this point, some of the people, the blind man and some of the other people that Jesus has healed, have more faith than the disciples do. And they've been with Him all these years. That's hard to believe, isn't it? That they could be right there with him all that time and then yet they don't understand, they don't believe as much as some of these people. Well, he claims to be God, so they were trying to kill him, right? If they've been with him all this time, don't they understand? It's amazing what you can know but yet not quite understand. And sometimes maybe that's that's why Jesus had to go so he could send the Holy Spirit, right? So we can understand. And so the last thing he says is, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. You know, at this point in the book of John, we've seen seven miracles, right? He's turned water into wine. He's healed a nobleman's son. He's healed a paralytic. He's raised Lazarus from the dead. He's stilled a storm. He's walked on the water. He's turn two little fish and five loaves into enough food to feed 15 or 20,000 people. And yet, and these are just some of the miracles. John only wrote about seven. But remember what it says in chapter 20 about the whole book of John says, and many other signs Jesus did. But I only wrote about these seven so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's, John said these seven are enough for you to believe that Jesus is a God. And so they've seen probably hundreds, maybe thousands of miracles. We don't know. 
I mean, you read through your Bible and see how many people were healed. How many people were raised from the dead? There were three people raised from the dead. There were lepers and all kinds of people that were healed. He says, can't you believe? Then he says here in verse 12, most assuredly, remember that's that truly, truly, I don't know, maybe your Bible says amen, amen, or verily, verily. What it, what it really means is he says, I tell you the truth. Listen up, folks. This is very important. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen up, folks. This is very important. I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. All right? And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. So Jesus says, the works that I do, what did Jesus do? He healed people. He raised people from the dead. He did cast out demons. He did signs, wonders, and miracles. And He says, you will do these. Now, some of these things now were just limited to the apostles. And he, and then He goes on to say, and greater works than these He will do because I go to My Father. He says, because I'm going to My Father, you will do greater works than, than I do. You, did you know that? We, we, we do greater works. We can do greater works than Jesus does. Now, I'm not talking greater miracles. But, but what Jesus is saying is it's not in the greatness of the miracle. He's talking in the extent of the miracle. Because, see, every time somebody hears the gospel, we tell them or show them through our lives and, and lead them to Christ. That is a great miracle. See, today, because the Holy Spirit, you can preach on the radio and thousands of people can hear you, right? You can go in a stadium and thousands and even millions of people have heard some of these preachers preach and, and they preach and it's televised all over the world. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved when Peter preached. Now, did we ever see 3,000 saved when Jesus was preaching? No. His was a local ministry. Remember, he was confined to one area at one time. But because he sends the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk more about that later, he says, because I go to the Father, you can do greater miracles than I do. Now, Acts 2.43 says, In the fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 5, verse 12. And by the hands of many of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And the rest uh, dared not join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And the believers were more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought the sick into the streets, and they laid them on beds and couch couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. And there also came multitudes out of the city round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks. And with them were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. Not just some, but every one of them. Now, notice what it says here, Second Corinthians twelve twelve. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. 
You know, there's another place where Paul claims his apostleship because he said, I've done the signs of an apostle. I've healed the sick. I've raised the dead. I've cast out demons. Now, some of those things were for those people, and some people would agree to disagree on that. But, you know, I, I believe that by the time we get even to 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach. He didn't seal it to send him one of those handkerchiefs. He didn't pray and he was immediately healed. But he, but even Paul himself had what? A thorn in the flesh, right? That God wouldn't remove. You know, people talk about these signs, wonders, and miracles. And the Bible, I was just reading a couple of days ago about that if we pray that nothing is impossible... But let, let me give you the caveat on this thing and we'll finish up today. Because he says, you're going to do greater works. That's greater in extent. More. More people will be saved. Jesus was on in one place so he could only deal with local people. Jesus, when he was on earth, he was limited to a body in one place at one time, right? We as believers are all over the world sharing the gospel with many people at the same time over radio, over TV, personally, where we live, where we work. And guess what? That's why he says it's greater in extent. And then the last thing he says in verse 13, he says in 14, kind of tie these together. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that your Father, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Alright, this is the first occurrence of that phrase, in my name. Now, you know, Jesus said that many times, but this is the first occurrence in this book. And let's put it this way. If you pray in Jesus' name, it means that the prayer in Christ's name must be consistent with Christ's character. You got that. Got to be consistent with Christ's character. In other words, Lord, I want you to zap that man because I don't like him. That's not consistent with Christ's character because God is long-suffering, patient, not willing that any should perish, right? So Jesus is not saying we have unlimited power over and determine what he will or not will or will not do if we simply pray in Jesus' name. Because this is out of sync with everything else in the rest of Scripture. The Bible says that God is sovereign over all and subject to none. And so we're to pray in accordance with His will. That's what it means. To pray in Jesus' name is to pray in accord with His mission and His will and His character. So basically, when we pray, it's not we come say, here's my shopping list, God. I want you to give it to me. That's not what we do. Because we do have tremendous spiritual power in our hands. And the Holy Spirit gives us power to be, God, be all God wants us to be. Remember I said we have all that we need for life and godliness? Because His divine nature lives in us. So to pray in Jesus' name, one of the best things you can do is go into the Scripture. And Paul prays many prayers in Philippians and Colossians and 
Ephesians, and I love some of those prayers in Ephesians, where he, where he says in Ephesians that he he prays that uh, that you would he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might in the inner man, with the whole, through the Holy Spirit in the inner man, that Christ might be at home in your hearts through faith, that you be rooted and grounded in love that you be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which surpasses all understanding, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to his power that works in us mightily. To him be the glory in the church forever and ever. Amen. Now what did he pray? That you be strengthened with might in the inner man. I mean, the Bible tells us the outer man is passing away, right? But the inner man, the inner person, what makes us who we are if we're strengthened by God's power, by His strength. And you know how you get stronger? You do what Romans 12 says. Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? By getting in the Word of God, right? When you get into the Word of God... You know what the Bible says. God said it. I believe it. I trust in Him. And I can get to know God in such a way that, that no matter what happens, that, that I know the length and the depth and the width and the height of His love. This love that surpasses all understanding. We can't fathom God's love, but we can get a sense of how, how much He loves us what He did when He died for us. And, and because we know how much He loves us and cares for us, we can hang in and hang on to God, right? I mean, we can be strengthened with might in the inner man. We can, we can do what James says, count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Knowing that, knowing what? That the testing of our faith produces endurance, strength. And we all go through trials. We all go through trouble. But when we trust in God, we can go through anything. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He wasn't talking about he could jump over a 10-foot tall building that he could pray and, and zap somebody or get a new car. Or, you know, they didn't have cars back then. But, but, I mean, is it consistent with God's character to say, I want a new Mercedes? Not really. I mean, what does God say? God says... My desire is that people be saved, that people be changed, that lives are changed, that, that people know the Lord. I mean, you read the prayers that Paul prays. You know, today we pray for the sick, and I, and I love to pray for the sick. But you know what? We need to pray for people to be saved. Because that's ultimately what God wants us to do. You know, if somebody's sick and they die, they don't know the Lord, they just went to hell. So while they're sick, if they don't know the Lord, we can pray, Lord, please save them. Please bring somebody. Please give me an opportunity to speak to them about the Lord because that's the most important thing. Because see, one day we're all going to pass out of this life. The statistics are in. One out of one die. One day we're going to pass out of this world. But if we know Jesus Christ, what does the Psalm 23 say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's like getting hit by a shadow. We just pass out of this world, immediately be in the arms of Jesus and be on the other side. We'll wake up on the other side and it'll all be okay. But you know what? If we forget and just 
Sickness is just a symptom. It's, it's because of sin in the world. And we need to pray for people to be saved, for lives to be changed, and for God to use us to speak to other people the way we live, the way we talk, the way we do. That's what Paul prayed. That he didn't say he prayed for Timothy, but he told him to take a little wine for his stomach. I'm sure he prayed for him, but, but it doesn't record it. You'll never see a prayer in there for Paul praying for the sick. Every prayer he always prays is for the spiritual welfare of the people. And so when we pray, you can pull any of these scriptures out and say, God, you know, I, I, I want to count it all joy when I fall into various trials. He says, pray and ask for wisdom. He'll give you wisdom. There's many, many prayers we could pray. But when we pray in Jesus' name, it means that we're praying consistent with who He is and what He wants to do in our lives and the lives of people around us. And that is always spiritual. It's spiritual. Let's pray and then we'll close. Father, we love You. We thank You. We praise You that You loved us so much that You sent Your Son to die on the cross for our sins. And that you uh, said if we pray anything according to your name, that when we pray, Lord, and I really didn't say this, that when we pray, that what happens is you said according to your will, according to your name, that what happens is when we trust in you and follow you, you said lean not unto our own understanding, but acknowledge you in all your ways, and you will guide and direct our paths. And you said that at one spot that you will give us the desires of our heart. What happens, Lord, is when we submit to your will, to your word, to your way, you give us your desires and you change our heart and our desires become your desires. And then you answer those prayers. Lord, just speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Those in the nursing home facilities are locked up in bodies that do not work in a wheelchair or in a bed. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems. Some have told us we want to have a real family because their parents have lost or given up custody of them. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up at the jails and the prisons, to those locked up in addictions, to drugs, alcohol, depression, and suicidal thoughts, to those locked up in a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us abundant life, joy, and set us free, and these people that we minister to are not free. Our desire is to show them whatever their background, no matter what they've done, to see how much God loves them. We seek to help them receive forgiveness and freedom from their sin in Jesus Christ. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia, and surrounding Effingham and Chatham area. We have recently expanded our ministry to the Lexington, Columbia, South Carolina area. We do over 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you will support us in some way that so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the Donate Now button or send it via regular mail to Post Office Box 1881, Lexington, South Carolina, 29071. We hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you and God bless you. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John eight thirty two.